I'm Chris Biddle, and this is episode 77 of Inside AgriTurf, and thank you for joining me. Um, I've called this episode From Horses to Horsepower, and we'll be looking at the advances in farm machinery during the late Queen Elizabeth II's 70-year reign from 1952 to 2022. Of course, we can only scratch the surface on the journey from old technology, horses, to new technology. So the question is, how do we get from there to now? Now, my guest today is uh, Charlie Nicklin, Chief Executive of the Institution of Agricultural Engineers. But prior to joining IAGRI two years ago, Charlie spent 24 years in engineering roles with JCB Land Power, working on the design of several of the company's well-known products. He is also fresh from competing in the European Ploughing Championships in, in Ireland. Now, I hear you had a good result, uh, Charlie. Yeah, we did really well. So so I represented England um, in the vintage hydraulic class, so vintage mounted ploughs uh, with my trusty little 35 and Ransom's plough. Uh, but the English team did really well. I came second in my class. Uh, my colleague came second in the classic conventional class. And then the other two guys that were with us both won their classes in the trailer and the classic reversible. So so the English team did really well. Uh, it was it was good fun. It was a good a good crack. <laughs> I guess uh, it was in Ireland. Yeah, yeah, it was Northern Ireland in Ballykelly. So how was it? Cost cost us a few quid in diesel. Um, <laughs> I think the diesel bill was about a, about a thousand quid. Oh, um, so and then the ferry was the best part of a thousand quid as well. So it's uh, all privately funded with a bit of help from a few organisations, but uh, yeah, gets quite expensive for a hobby. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So let's uh, let's see if we can navigate the engineering challenges and achievements of the past seventy years. Let's, let's start in 1952. Um, I have to admit, I was around in 1952, uh, age 10. Uh, you do your own maths on that. And the population in the UK then was 50 million, and now it's 67 million. Uh, there was still food rationing in 1952. Uh, the bank rate was 4% then, and heading for that today. Uh, but it rose up and down. It reached a 17% in 1979. And inflation, similarly, was at 11% in 1952. And the same as today. But again, that had peaked at uh, nearly 25% in 1974. Oh, but there were many horses still working on farms. I've got some figures that there were 387,000 tractors working on farms in 1952 and according to the agricultural engineers association there are there are currently 358,000 so a very similar number but obviously different size and, and different usage um the average horsepower in 1952 was 24 horsepower and it's now 160 and of course the pioneering tractor was the ferguson te20 uh, which stands for tractor england 20 horsepower I understand and its USP was the three-point hitch. The cost to it for it then was £365, uh, which is equal to about £12,000 now. So the question is, how did we get from that little marvel, still an iconic and highly valuable commodity, to driverless tractors, automatic steering, drones, selective weeding, and the rest of today's farming gizmos? So, Charlie, what do engineers, and I know you, you probably can't go back to 1952, but 
But what do engineers take from those early tractors, particularly the T20? I suppose when you look at Harry Ferguson's developments, it, it was it, it was always very sort of keep it simple, simple machine. You know, no frills, painted grey. Didn't like diesel engines because they were complicated. You know, it was always simplicity with with Harry Ferguson, he, and he was very much. If you read his book or read the, the biography that was written about him, it's really interesting because he's got some really interesting views on on agriculture and you know worldwide. And it was always simple. He, he always resisted higher horsepower. So for years, you know, they wanted to make a larger tractor, and he resisted that. And in the end, you know, he lost that battle, and, and tractors became bigger and bigger, and and that march has continued. Uh, but I mean, I'm a I'm a real fan of Little Grey Fergies. That's what got me into engineering years ago on the farm, and I and I collect them. So I've got you know uh, three or four um, diesels and petrol Fergie tractors. So yeah, and I, and I still love the simplicity. They just they they serve their purpose. They've still got a place today. You know, there's still plenty of those things working on farms around the country. Uh, and and did the development of the uh, Little Grey Fergie influence tractor development in, in the following years, do you think? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, everybody knows the Ferguson tractor for the, the three-point linkage, which is still commonplace on pretty much every tractor manufactured in Europe. Um, you know, it, it, it's commonplace. It's still got its use. Yes, implements have got bigger and tend to have land wheels to support them, but ultimately they're still integrated onto the tractor with a three-point hitch uh, and, and still making use of, of draft control, you know, to, to help, you know, um, with traction. There's also, there's loads of things that that little, little grey tractor introduced to the farming world. I mean, even silly little things like a linchpin, those flick-over linchpins that everybody knows and loves, well, guess what? That was a Ferguson, one of his one of his designers' inventions. Was Adjust, it? Adjustable track, yes. you know, the radius arms on the front axle. That was a Ferguson design that 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 uh, many tractors utilise. So there's there's lots of things there. Yeah, it it was it was interesting that um, uh, when they came to market um, in the early fifties, and actually uh, at one stage, I understand they had about sixty percent of the market. And, and when Ferguson wanted to appoint some distributors uh there was a real there was a real problem with with the agricultural machinery and tractor dealers association which was a dealers association it now bagma because ferguson said that their machines should only be uh repaired by authorized agents uh, i think we've heard that somewhere before now <laughs> and um uh, and also because there was a shortage of dealers uh, that they that who were not signed up to other other franchises they wanted to appoint some uh motor traders people in the automotive business and and of course this didn't go down very well with bagma who uh, resisted it and there was a quite a split and a number of resignations but in the end they 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 acquiesced and um i read that they then gained something in excess of 1000 members so it it it, it really? must have must have, have worked but I mean, the 1950s, there were there were tractors coming in. I, I, I fondly remember sitting on a, a David Brown Cropmaster uh, at a at a show, which um, had a double seat, rather like you used to get in <laughs> the cinema. Um, I was only ten or eleven or twelve, but I remember sitting there with my sister, having my photograph taken, uh, and and thought it was the best thing since sliced bread in tractor mm. design. So Charlie, 
after we sort of got through the 1950s, and, and it was a difficult time, we, as I said, we only, only came out of food rationing, um, as we moved into the, into the 1960s, right up to the millennium, there were obviously a number of, of, of improvements that started to, to, to bring tractors into great, great use, great, great effectiveness. Improved transmissions, I guess, was one of them. Yeah, um, I mean the the little grey Fergie, you know, back then with its its non live drive four speed gearbox was quite limited. So I think you know very quickly there was developments in in transmissions, so low and high ranges, you know, to give that that spread of working speeds. You know, still a requirement today. There was things like uh, splitters started to come in, so people will know multi power, they'll know torque amplifier, they'll know dual power. You know, the different brand names for for splitters so those things started to creep in late 50s early 60s there was also developments going on on hydrostatic drives and things like that but nothing really took off sort of back then john deere made a bold move and i don't know the year when they they came into the into the into the european market with with a power shift transmission so that was a, a big step. Uh, I suppose it was viewed as a quite a complicated gearbox back then, but you know it showed its merits of all this this change on the move technology. You know, power shifts are still commonplace today, and some of the UK manufacturers like you know David Brown back in the day developed things like the Hydra Shift gearbox with a four speed splitter. So so there was a big a big march forward on transmissions. Obviously, in the sixties, everybody utilised Mister Ferguson's linkage arrangement on the back so because the patents disappeared so so that was freely adopted and things got bigger as we know that that horsepower and size of tractor started to increase and and i suppose i, I talk about transmissions i was a a ford tractor dealer at the time and um we got ever so excited when ford introduced a selecto speed which was um had a fairly limited life shall i say it uh, as an effective uh, transmission mover yeah, um, it was. Um, I suppose it was. It was probably. It it was a failure because it was before its time, wasn't it? I think yeah. if you used correctly, select speed was was a, a brilliant gearbox, and I know plenty of people who have got select speed tractors, and 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 they're great things. But I think yes. it just it, it was probably badly sold. People didn't know how to use it, and of course that caused the problems, didn't it? Well, indeed, I, I had a customer who was who, who um, uh, was was disabled, couldn't use his legs, and of course, uh, I mean, he was quite a big farmer near us in in Hampshire, and of course, I made a beetle in my way to his door immediately. It was launched, but um, he unfortunately was one of the old school and uh, didn't like this newfangled uh, technology and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I, in, indeed, I suppose that's been one of the problems, Charlie, is is the adoption of new technology and yeah. getting people to use it, particularly in in recent years. I, I suppose also that um, safety and driver comfort was coming very much to the fore with with um, cabs and rollovers and and and, uh, and so on. Yeah, I mean, if you, I suppose if you look back, it was crazy, really. If you if you looked at cars, I mean, people weren't driving around so much in open top cars in the middle of the winter yet you expected the poor bloke who drove the tractor to sit there freezing his proverbials off with hessian sacks tied around his legs and all sorts of things you know stories my granddad used to tell me but yeah i think you know rocks was clearly a big step forward in in safety and and the stats absolutely prove that and then obviously you start to get that that attention to the driver coming in so 
you know, improving the ergonomics. You know, we 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 put cabs on tractors and then and then wrecked people's earring because they were horrible rattle boxes. But you know, so that was that that had to be quickly sorted out. You know, you had manufacturers selling machines with free earphones. You know, because the because yeah. they were so noisy. You know, and and, and I remember that because I was driving tractors as a kid in the in the seventies in the late 70s and early 80s so yeah a lot more attention to to driver comfort was paid you know and, and then you've obviously got quiet cabs coming in 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 the mid 70s in 76 and i think yeah. that was a step change really that that quiet cab arrangement and things like air conditioning and heating yeah. being there for the driver uh, was that driven by a consumer uh, feedback and demand or could everybody see that uh, people as you say were getting fed up sitting on tractors and getting their whatnots uh, frozen off and and so on i think the q the q cab was obviously legislation driven that you know you can't have machines that are wrecking people's earring and you know expecting them to sit in them for 12 14 hours a day was just crazy really when you think back yeah. so that that was sort of legislation driven but obviously the manufacturers as with all legislation as a manufacturer you've then got to turn that round as a as a positive, this is why you want to buy this brand of machine because it's got this, this, and this, even yeah. though it's the legislation that's driven it. You know, you, yeah. you look at the positives and then use those positives to yeah. sell your products. Yeah. And I guess the uh, the regulations were ramping up in terms of emission and emissions and noise during the, the latter part of the, uh, uh, what was it, 20th century? I cast my mind back, you know, I started in JCB in 96, and within a space of a year, I was working on low emissions engine changes. So, so that you know that first step, stage one, tier one, whatever you want to call it, that was happening in the late nineties. I think it was ninety nine. It came in. I might be wrong. Yeah. Might be ninety eight. I forget now. But around about then, so we were starting engine changes, and that initially started off as just changing the engine for a better version. That was um, that was better on you know better in terms of emissions, and then obviously that through my whole career in JCB, I've changed engines. So tier one, two, three, four, stage one up to you know till I you know left in twenty twenty, and we were we were doing stage five diesel engines. And, and how difficult to, or challenging was that to achieve? Oh, massively, massively. So the first couple of tiers or stages, if you're in Europe were fairly easy because it was contained in the engine so you just swap the engine for a different type of engine a few tweaks around the edges and then obviously it started to become much more involved on things like exhaust systems and induction systems and changing different to, to different types of oil and all sorts of things and, and as, as the march has continued it's got more and more difficult and i can remember saying to a boss of mine back you know, in the mid 2000s saying, you know, the engine cost is probably going to double over the next five years. And sure enough, it probably did more than double, you know, and you think what we used to, I mean, I won't say what we used to pay for an engine, but it's staggering how much an engine costs then versus the same type yeah. of engine now. Yeah. And, you know, the emissions is completely different. You know, we, we used to joke in JCB that the engine, the air going into the engine is dirtier than the air coming out in the factory. Because it probably was, you know, it, yes. it, it, they're so clean burning, and diesels have got a very bad reputation, thanks to Volkswagen. Whereas actually, diesel engines are very efficient, and very clean, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, but uh, yeah, I spent my my life changing engines, really. Yeah. 
And okay. uh, as far as noise, I, I, I recall talking to an engineer at Perkins Engines um, about noise reduction, and uh, his son had just taken over from him. And, and, and he said to me, my job was relatively easy, getting it down from whatever it was in, in fairly large stages. Yeah. Uh, my son is going to have a heck of a job trying to get uh, the, the, the maximum or the minimum out of uh, uh, one or two percent down. So um, the nearer you get, it, it gets more difficult doesn't it yeah and i guess you yeah. find that with with um uh, with with emissions yeah i mean the, i mean that's about the only positive you can think of apart from the environmental aspects of course is that the the better exhaust systems did a much better job at, at keeping the engine noise down but you had to pay a lot of attention to induction systems so air cleaners and getting rid of you know mush mushrooms on bonnets on machines and putting the air cleaner in, you know the induction inside in the radiator where it's nice and clean that helped with noise as well and that i think that was around the time i left the telehandler business early 2000s we were doing exterior noise compliance and it really did transform the machines and i, and I listened to you know doesn't matter whether it's jcb or a manager or whatever they're so so quiet now you know, driving around the yard. But years ago, they were so yeah. noisy when you think about it. And tractors are the same. Yes. You know, much quieter now. Uh, and I suppose looking back, if we look back at the 30, 40 years uh, that the, um, so we lead up to the millennium, I suppose there were two two dates, one of which, of course, as far as the UK market was concerned, was the entry of John Deere into the in, into the UK market, which um, has resulted in uh, them sort of having some market leadership and uh, and actually mm. leading much of the uh, dealer development, certainly. And of course, affecting us all was the uh, is was the invention of the internet in uh, let's say 1988. Mm. I mean, that has really transformed everything we we've done since the millennium, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it has. I mean that that. You know the the introduction of electronics. Uh, I mean that that's one of my standout things. Really, is that that really did change the face of things. You know, I, I'm a red and grey person at heart. I suppose um, you know, and I I had a picture of a a, a three thousand series Massey on my college room wall in the late eighties, and that you know that that introduction of electronic draft control, electronic linkage control, and all that sort of stuff was really that step change i think that that is commonplace now and that you know putting electronics on there yes you'll get the people who, who shout me down saying all oh, the sophistication and the, the errors and the problems you get but it did open up fly-by-wire stuff getting rid of cables and levers out of cabs you know that's made cabins quieter and better and nicer yeah. places to be and also you, you used to have this ongoing argument or debate with people that everybody wants Nice, clean engines, quiet machines, sophisticated transmission, nice and easy to drive. Well, guess what? You can't do any of that without electronics and ECU. And it's the easy, no. it's that stuff. Yeah. And it's working well, makes the machine a pleasure to use, you know. Yeah. So that that electronics marked a step change, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. And it's just, it's continued ever since, hasn't it? Uh, uh, of, of course. I mean, tell me, as you developed uh, machines, um, what was it key that it should have um, user acceptance? I mean, the, farmers are sometimes very reluctant to take on new technology. Was it always an issue as an engineer? I mean, you, you can engineer some brilliant products, but whether people uh, will use them as they are intended, was that ever a problem, do you think, Charlie? Yeah, I think it's 
you know, there's 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 been there's, there's been a big learning curve, hasn't there? So, you know, electronics and electrical, complex electrical systems on automotive has been around for years and they perfected it pretty well. And I'd I'd probably say the same on tractors now that it probably had a rocky start because a lot of the sensors and things came off automotive companies and, and then all of a sudden they were being put to use in a rugged environment. And, and I think AdBlue pumps, you know, you name an AdBlue pump, an ad blue dosing system on a tractor that's reliable well there isn't any they're all flipping rubbish they don't stand <laughs> up to the hammer people take them off uh the truck industry struggles with it continually you talk to anybody who runs trucks on a on a volume basis and they'll all sell you oh you're always getting problems with ad blue systems and dosing systems they're just un- inherently unreliable so there is things like that that's not copied across from automotive very well uh but you know it in my experience, generally, it's the mechanical aspects of the electronic installation that lets it down. You know, electronics themselves are reliable. Yes, you get software bugs that are not thrashed out in development, but but things like mechanical sensors, it, it's the installation, it's the lack of sealing, it, it's uh, the lack of protection, it's it's harness routing, it's it's things like that. It's vibration. It, there's lots of mechanical stuff that's important in making that making that electronics reliable um and i mentioned software and i, I always think apple what everybody gets excited when apple roll out a new software and you kind of think what's well, because they're rolling it out because they've got bugs they need to sort out that they didn't fix in the first place it's almost the opposite view isn't it when you want your software and your tractor updating because they'll, they'll somebody will be moaning and groaning that i've got these errors and yeah. I need new software to fix it. And it's it's funny how there's a, a total shift yeah. convert versus Apple, you know. I, I suppose if we if if we move now into current times and sort of take from the year two thousand up to now, the the environment has had a is having a, a major impact on how machines are are produced and used, particularly in, in, in fuels. There's obviously a lot of uh, alternative fuels being tested at the moment. Uh, do, do you think there will be a standard one that will be used, or the, or will they be using a variety of, of fuel, fuels rather, uh, depending th- on the man- manufacturer? I think I think there'll be a variety, and that that in itself is a problem because you know for you know despite Mister Ferguson disliking diesel engines, he lost that battle, and, and diesels have reigned supreme ever since the sort of 50s haven't they yes and and there's a reason for that because they're very good yes. you know and and it's a shame really that that diesel has got bad press i mean I'd, I'd love it if somebody came up with a synthetic diesel fuel that could be used um because obviously the diesel engine isn't the problem it's the fossil fuel it's burning that's the problem so fix the fossil fuel problem uh, so there's a few companies, you know, my old company are obviously doing a lot with hydrogen, along yeah. with Deutz and Cummins. They're also doing hydrogen combustion. So who knows on that front? I think the in- internal combustion engine has definitely got a life ahead of itself. The, yeah. the, the challenge now is that where you just add diesel reigning supreme from a, you know, an ATV right through to a 700 horsepower chopper, we're suddenly going to have different systems now because I think electric drive does suit small machines so it's going to suit small tractors small little loading machines you know they're, they're going to work really well in those environments charge it in the night use it in the day you know especially farms have got solar panels and battery storage you know it, it's it's a great thing but then the electric power doesn't then suit the large machines so there's going to have to be another solution be it hydrogen fuel cell be it hydrogen combustion 
So you've suddenly got a different technology then. And then is that going to be the same technology you're going to have in a 750 horsepower Lexian combine? I don't know. Maybe that's mm. going to be LNG or something. It's a crazy situation, really. That we've got these different systems now that we're going to probably have to accept and yeah. not just one fuel, you know. Uh, and in June, indeed, just at the moment, there's a lot of issues regarding the f- the supply of any fuels at the moment. Yeah. So uh, yeah. you've got to you put that into the mix. Um, as far as tractors are concerned, I mean, they've been getting bigger and bigger and faster and faster and heavier and heavier. Um, have we have we reached peak power, peak heaviness? I think we've we've probably reached peak speed. And, and although my colleagues in JCB will hate me for saying it, but you know we have that 60k threshold is is good enough isn't it i think yes yes you get obviously you, you can follow comfort. that on the road quite easily yeah, you, it you, upset you, you. yeah yeah and you've got obviously you've got the comfort associated with fast track and that that steering braking you know supremacy but you know i i drive my friends 60k tractors and actually you know what they're perfectly acceptable at 60k with a load behind you yeah. You know, when you drive accordingly, you slow down on the country lanes and you speed up on the straight bits. Yeah. So 60 is a nice speed for a tractor, I think. Um, Power-wise, yes, I reckon – I don't think we've reached this – we've probably we've probably reached the peak power, but I think this power density thing is something that's going to increase. And, you know, you see it just lately with with Fence New Range, the new 700 series, where they've, they've gone up in power again and increased this power density. So I think – we're going to see an increase in pocket rockets, as I'd call them, where <laughs> there's a much more denser power to weight, you know, smaller tractor, more power, because you've got this this requirement for less tractors on the farm and one tractor does more jobs. So, yes, people laugh at having 150 horse on a hedge cutter, but guess what? It's on there because he hasn't got another tractor, you know. And I think the tractor manufacturers will continue to sort of exploit that density. I think it's the the width and the size of the machines to me is that certainly in Europe, you are limited how big you can go width-wise. And if you're limited on width, you then start to limit yourself on footprint and you've got to be able to put this power down to the ground. And I know you can buy a 500-horsepower Fent 1,000-series tractor, uh, but you've got to really gear it up with some serious tractive capability ballast wheel equipment to to get the most out of that thing because you really are into arctic four-wheel drive territory that the us would use where they're less restricted on the on the width and size but even them you know they're getting to the point where they can't really go much bigger because they can't fit down the road you know so i Mm. think this have we reached it probably not but i bet we're getting close i can't see people going much higher in horsepower certainly you know you'd, you'd argue that fent have probably hit the limit with 500 you know you really are into big four-wheel drive articulated tractor territory with that and a lot of the other big brands are sort of around about that 400 aren't they now so but you don't see many of them around do you you know they're they're expensive bits of kit that that power so but so i think yeah we probably are we probably are getting there and i think farmers you know i watch quite a few american youtube farming channels and you'd be surprised how conscious american farmers are on soil compaction and weights of machines and looking after that black soil as they call it out there Hmm. and i think obviously in uk and europe we're we're far more conscious about the damage we're doing to to the ground you know yeah which is the subject i'll do a shameless plug is the subject of our i agree conference first november which which is when 
first of November in Peterborough, uh, uh, face-to-face conference uh, in Peterborough at the at the uh, agricultural centre, uh, and 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 we're talking about soils. We're talking about low disturbance machinery such as drills, mintill drills, things like that. So it should be an interesting conference, I think, and quite apt for people at the moment. We've got a and, guy. And presumably engineers are, are, are have to react these days to different farming practices. You mentioned mintill and, and, yeah. and so on. Um, so that's that's farming driving engineering maybe rather than the other way around. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think, you know, we've got um, – a gentleman's going to call, come and talk to us about, or come and talk to the audience about, um, you know, no-till seed drilling, and that's all about, you know, looking after the soil structure, maintaining the roots, not disturbing the carbon, you know, and and that that's that's farmer driven, you know, the farmers recognise they need to do something about it, and the manufacturers are responding to the farmers' needs. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. And of course, Charlie, we are we are now in the in the world of autonomous vehicles. And there's one heck of a task there. Where do you think the focus will will be? Obviously, we've got a few autonomous tractors running around fields, um, also into the field of um, fruit picking and and so on, which uh, suffers from a lack of uh, of labour in on many occasions. Where where do you think the big breakthroughs will come in autonomous vehicles? I think you know you sometimes remind people that. We've been milking dairy cows for thirty years with robots, and, and mm. it's still not commonplace. But it, it's, I think, it, necessity is the mother of invention, isn't it? And and I think with the fruit industry, you know, with Brexit and COVID, they've, they've had a real battle. And I think that that rise of autonomous machines in that sector really suits them well. You know, where it's low speed, high labour, uh, very controlled environments. You know, picking cauliflowers, harvesting strawberries. I think autonomous machines absolutely lend themselves to that. You know, UV dosing strawberries is another one where it's, you know you don't want a person in there anyway, and let the machine do it on its own. All very controlled. I think that, without a shadow of a doubt, autonomy will will come through in that sector. Tractors. Oh, who knows? I mean, I, I was talking to somebody the other day about it. You know, you talk about. You know, take a combine, a modern combine with a 40-foot header. That's a big piece of kit. That is a factory on wheels, that is. And mm. how many factories don't have factory supervisors? Exactly. You've got to have somebody on board that thing just checking everything's running. I mean, the combine drives itself pretty much now. You know, it's on cruise control. It's on guidance. The 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 guy or girl sat in the seat is monitoring everything that's going on you know, if they're doing the job right. So they are autonomous pretty much now, nearly. They're, they're very sort of, very automated. Tractors, I don't know. I think I see snippets of things which I really like. I quite like these gantry tractors because they're going to lend themselves to doing, you know, row crop vegetable type work. So weeding. So if you want to get rid of chemical use, start doing mechanical weeding. It's a very boring job on a tractor, very slow and dull. Uh, it's It's probably perfectly suited to a, a robotic gantry style tractor going backwards and forwards um there was an interesting one at cereals this year the the farm droid solar powered things there's some of those working in in shropshire i've seen and they just trundle up and down the fields on their own you know weeding brilliant brilliant things are we going to automate 300 horsepower tractors in europe i don't know who knows john deere have shown that autonomous tractor it might lend itself to the the big prairies I don't know. We we have a transport challenge in the UK that you've got to get the thing to the field. 
it's a big investment, so you want to be able to use it. So, you know, you're going to spend two or 300 grand on a tractor and that drives itself, but you can't use it for other tasks such as hedge cutting and carting stuff around. It's a, it's, it's, it's a really exciting time. I always think for engineers at the moment in, in the industry and this next 10 years will be brilliant really just to see what unfolds. So, I mean, I've got, I've got my views on what I think will work and what is pie in the sky, but I think as with everything, there'll be a blend of certain things and, I think they'll sort of find their own feet, find their own footing, won't they? Things will work well in certain circumstances and not in yeah. others. And, and and lastly, Charlie, if you had to pick out one standout uh, technical uh, advancement over the last 70 years, and I, I'm not asking you to go right back to that, what what, what would you say? What, what has been the real game changer? I think I'd, I'd struggle to pick one. I think you can't, talk tractors without mentioning harry ferguson um you know that that must have been you mentioned you were 10 years old when that that was about if you were in your teens early 20s back then that must have been absolutely fantastic seeing that equipment come on stream on farms you must have think you must have thought you were the bee's knee, bee knees when you got a little gray fergie to use compared absolutely. to the the drudgery that you got before yeah and so that must have been such an exciting time for a, a, a young guy or girl back then Put, put dobbing out to pasture as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, God, grant my granddad used to say to me, "God, you, you're knackered by the time you walk to the field. Never mind, plowed all day." Yes, you know, and yeah, you, what, what is it? You you walked what was it, twelve miles to plow an acre? Yeah, I mean, Christ, they had some stamina back then to do that Didn't job. Um, you know, and tractors must have been just a godsend. You know, when you when we actually got into it properly and accepted they were coming and, and and looked after them um so i can't you can't not mention harry ferguson but i i think uh, there's, there's two bits really i i i the electronics to me opened things up massively because they allowed engineers to start doing things and controlling things and linking things together and protecting things and it's amazing what you can do with electronics you can protect systems you can make systems work better you know, you just think of all the stuff it's done for transmissions and hydraulics in tractors now that you flick of a switch, a tap on a touch screen, you can control hydraulics, you can link things together, you can sequence things, headland management systems, all that lot wasn't possible without electronics. Yeah. Um, so I think the electronics is absolutely a, a key thing. And of course, you've got the other side of that, which is the the auto steer GPS side of that which again electronics has enabled but but bringing that onto tractors you know anybody who slags off gps wants the head checking because i can't you know it must it's just allows you to just take that that fatigue away from trying to drive straight and let the tractor do it for you and you concentrate on other things that are more productive you know why yeah. use your brain to drive straight it's ridiculous so i think that that onslaught of electronics and technology has really opened up what you can do with machines and um and i'm never I've never failed to be amazed of what what comes out next in terms of electronics and control sophistication. So that that to me is a, is a definite takeaway. Well, that that's that's fantastic, and thanks ever so much uh, for that, Charlie. And we've only been able to scratch the surface of uh, uh, of what's gone on over the next seventy years. I guess and over the last seventy years, rather. Um, and I guess the next seventy years are going to be equally exciting. <laughs> we may, yeah, not, as well, I said, we won't be around for a lot of it. But there you go. I think, I think the next decade will be. I think, yeah. you, know, you think of what what engineers and technologies have got to achieve. You know, with net zero and 
you know it's incredible the, the yes. world the world needs more people working in engineering that's for sure yeah, yeah. It, it, indeed uh, well look on that point can i thank you very much indeed for your time that that was that was fascinating and, yeah no um, problem good to talk and, about it uh, really good so thank you very much then charlie yep thanks a lot okay I really enjoyed that. Probably the only thing missing was having that chat over a pint in the snug of a village pub. Zoom just isn't the same. Charlie Nicklin was the ideal guest with his obvious love and indeed ownership of vintage tractors, his extensive engineering experience at JCB and now heading up the Institution of Agricultural Engineers, which fosters bright new talent into the exciting world of agricultural engineering, which is so pivotal in the challenge of feeding the world. Now, in the next episode, I will be focusing on the development of lawnmowers and grass cutting equipment during the 70 years of Queen Elizabeth II's reign with Brian Radham, owner of the British Lawnmower Museum in Southport. So I'm Chris Biddle. Thanks for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf. <laughs>